Well, if you are with us uh, for the first time, or maybe you've just recently returned and you're fairly new to St. Luke's, you're joining us on a good Sunday because we're beginning today a series called Faith and Doubt, often viewed as opposing elements in the life of faith and believing. Faith and doubt actually are more interrelated and interconnected than we often acknowledge. So the most important word in this title of the series is not faith or doubt. It's the word and. Faith and doubt. Because they're both necessary. And I hope that over the course of this series, you might appreciate that even more. So as we get started, I want to offer several hopes for many of us in this series. One is for those who struggle in faith. And I'm not talking about just the occasional questions about God or the Bible. I'm talking about people who lie awake at night with serious, soul-wrenching questions about God and faith. My hope for you is that this series will help you see and explore doubt as a needed tool of faith. I hope that you'll find that by the end of the series, a doubt is more of a friend than an enemy to faith, and perhaps today's message will be a good start for you. I have a hope for those of you who are very strong in your faith, that this series will strengthen that faith even more so, that as you entertain questions that don't normally bother you, it'll help you appreciate the faith that you have and be more convicted in that faith. And then I have a hope for us as a church, that this series will make St. Luke's a safer and more sensitive community for people to ask their questions and express their doubts. A lot of churches are good at giving answers. And I will share some of what I believe are my own failures in ministry of not handling doubters and seekers in a more sensitive way. Because if we are given an answer without taking the journey that helps us arrive at that point, faith will tend to be shallow and often uh, pretty weak. And I believe in our world today, a faith community that allows people to ask their questions and makes it safe for them to raise their doubts is a community that is going to be much sought after and into the future. And so one last hope, and that's for all of us, regardless of, of where we are in our faith. My hope is that this series will help us understand and appreciate even better why we practice the faith that we do. Why do we come to church every week? You know, if you worship just half of your life, and you attend three out of four Sundays a month, you will have spent the same number of hours as a person does going to class earning a college degree. So, what is the degree that you want to get out of coming to church? What do you hope it'll do for you? Why are you here? If that's already got you turning, we're off to a good start. So let me open us now in a word of prayer. Let us pray. Lord, as we begin this series, we give you permission 
to shake us up. Don't let our faith become routine or disconnected from our civic life and responsibilities. May we emerge from these upcoming hours in worship with a renewed trust in you and a fresh desire to let our faith show forth in our living. And for those of us struggling in our faith, we invite you to settle us down. Help us see our questions not as threats, but opportunities. Whether we believe you are real or not, help us be open to the possibility that you are. Amen. Well, there's a story about a family going home from church one Sunday. The mother turns to the son in the back seat and asks what a lot of parents do going home from church. What did you learn in Sunday school today? The boy said, we learned about Moses crossing the Red Sea. And the mother says, oh, that's a great story. What did you learn about it? The boy was quiet for a moment. And then he said, well, there is this guy, Moses, who went to this fellow Pharaoh who was holding all of Moses' people hostage. Moses said to him, if you don't let him go, you're going to have big trouble. And so Pharaoh said, okay. And then Moses gathered them all together in a bunch of Humvees. And they traveled through the desert to a place called the Red Sea. And then Pharaoh changed his mind and he sent his army and his tanks and his helicopters after them. And they found the people and the people started to get upset. And then they got all of these grocery bags and they loaded them up with sand. And they built two walls that parted the water and they walked right through it. But they put plastic explosives in the sandbags. So when Pharaoh's army started going after them, the bags exploded and the water crashed over them. Well, this just did the father in. He said, is that what your teacher taught you this morning? The son said, well, no. But dad, honestly, if I told it like she did, you'd never believe it. (laughs) Do you remember the first time you had questions about stories of faith or about faith itself or about God? Do you remember what your questions were? Do you remember your doubts? And do you remember whether it was okay or not to ask those questions? Brian McLaren, in his recent book, Faith After Doubt, says right now in the United States, there are 65 million American adults who are alive who have left their place of worship. And he said that number grows by 2.7 million a year. The reasons most of these people give have to do with doubts. Doubts about the Bible, doubts about God, doubts about doctrine and practices required by their place of worship. And many people say, I doubt my religious institution as a place that continues to be worthy of my trust. McLaren, in reflecting on this statistic, says whatever the focus of their doubts, at this very moment, hundreds of thousands of people are watching their doubts grow and their religious identity weaken. Well, doubt is not peculiar to people outside of a religious institution. People within the church 
have doubts. Many of you have submitted your questions of faith in recent weeks. Let me just share a few of these that I've received, things that people from St. Luke's have, have said. If God has a plan, why bother praying for certain outcomes? Does God forgive? I have my doubts about God's willingness to forgive some of my past mistakes. If God is love, why has religion, biblical interpretation, personal belief gotten in the way? My husband and I have a grown son with a dual diagnosis of drug addiction and bipolar disease. Trusting God has been a struggle for us. I'm hoping the new sermon series will help. We're going to hear more of these in weeks ahead. I believe we all carry within us quietly our own doubts and questions that we don't always feel comfortable speaking out loud. And perhaps part of the reason, at least, that we're not always so comfortable speaking them is because of how the Bible seems to address doubt. Listen to a few verses from the New Testament. Jesus said, if you have faith and don't doubt, you will say to this mountain, be lifted up and thrown into the lake and it will happen. How many of you already feel disqualified for faith? <laughs> James says, for the one who doubts is like a wave of the sea driven and tossed by the wind. And if that's discouraging, look at the next sentence. For the doubter, being double-minded and unstable in every way, must not expect to receive anything from the Lord. Well, it appears the Bible is pretty much against doubt. But there are a couple helpful understandings here. Just like James identified, the word doubt literally means to be double-minded. Now, in one sense, that can be a bad thing. If you can't ever make up your mind because you're always weighing the odds, looking in different directions, that can be challenging. But there's another concept here, that, that a doubter is someone who can hold two very different ideas together at the same time. James compares doubt to the wind. And this is especially helpful. Think about sailing for a moment. <clears throat> Uh, if you sail or ever have sailed, you know that you're harnessing the power of the wind for motion, but you seldom sail in the direction of your intended object going in a straight line. What do you have to do? You have to tack. You catch the wind that pulls you this direction, and then you get pulled in the other direction, and back and forth you go, but over time you're getting closer to your intended object. Faith and doubt work like sailing. The pull back and forth that takes you in different directions has the power over time to get you closer to your intended object. Now, this is what we see in the person who brings his son to Jesus for healing in the story that we heard a moment ago. The description of the, of the son's condition is given as demonic. He has a demon and needs to have this exercise. But when you look at the descriptions of his condition, you realize that it's talking about epilepsy. He convulses, falls to the ground, becomes rigid, grinds his teeth, 
loses control of his body, falls into the fire. His condition has plagued him all his life. Even while Jesus is talking to the Father, this happens to the Son. And what takes place is a conversation between Jesus and his Father about faith and doubt. The Father says to Jesus, if you are able to do anything, help us. Jesus said to him, if you are able. Now, let's leave the, the screen up there with the, uh, with the verse on it for just a moment. Because I want you to pay attention to the punctuation marks. Notice there are two exclamation points. Now, <clears throat> that's kind of interesting because in the language in which the New Testament was written Greek, there were no punctuation marks. There are no periods, no commas, no question marks, no exclamation points. When people say, I read the Bible literally, I wanna say, well, then you must know Greek. Because if you don't, you're reading something in which chapters, verses, Periods, commas, exclamation points have been added by someone else. And a punctuation mark can radically change the meaning of a statement. So let's look at this for a moment. Look at the response of Jesus. If you are able, exclamation point. If you read translations like the New International Version the New Living Translation, the Common English Bible, and many others. What they use is a question mark. They have Jesus say, if you are able, and it puts the emphasis on the word able. It's a rhetorical statement of Jesus. The Father saying, if you are able to do anything, help us. Jesus says, if you're able, but now the rhetorical statement is sarcastic, as if Jesus is getting his feelings hurt because his power is being called into question. But New Testament scholar Edward Schweitzer agrees more with the new revised standard version, the English standard version, the Good News translation, and many others that use an exclamation point. The exclamation point changes the, the word of emphasis from able to you. If you are able. You see the difference? The man says to Jesus, if you are able to do anything, please help us. And Jesus says, if you are able. The emphasis isn't on Jesus' ability. It is on the Father's faith. And if you wonder if maybe I'm stretching it just a bit, take a look at the next statement that Jesus speaks right on the heels. All things can be done for the one who believes. And what this father says in response to that statement is one of the most profound in all of the New Testament and perhaps all of the Bible. The father says, I believe, help my unbelief. I believe that's not a question here. Help my unbelief. And notice what Jesus doesn't do. Jesus doesn't say, well, if you have unbelief, I can't do anything for you. 
He doesn't say, when you get your faith intact, give me a call. He heals the man's son. And what we see in this man is a picture of faith that holds together belief and unbelief. Faith and doubt. Because faith depends on doubt to survive. Theologian Paul Tillich said, doubt is not the opposite of faith. It's an element of faith. And Frederick Beekner says it a bit more whimsically, doubts are the ants in the pants of faith. <laughs> they keep it awake and moving. Have you ever been challenged by doubt? Have you ever wondered what is wrong with you because of the doubts that you have? As if your faith should not allow for such questions. If so, perhaps a couple of ideas here might help. One is an idea about faith. Faith is a gift that God grants us. Faith does not start with us. It is not something we generate. It is what God puts within us. I like the verse in Ecclesiastes 3.11, which says, God has put eternity in human hearts. It means that God has put within all of us a, a yearning for more than this life. God puts within you, with me, within me, this, this searching desire to know that life has more to it than what is here and now for the eternal. And the ultimate object of that eternal searching is God, which means faith isn't ours to possess. Faith will always have a missing element to it because we have yet to arrive at that union with God. And in the meantime, faith will have this component to it a feeling as if we're not there, something's missing, something's incomplete. And here's where faith rubs up against the human personality because we all love to have things nailed down. We love to have things make sense. We love predictability and we love security. And faith doesn't always fulfill that the way we want. And if we're not careful, our human personality will take over and put its faith in something that guarantees us a sense of sureness, confidence, easy answers, understanding that so that we can explain any questions that we have, so that we have the security that we're looking for. This is why idolatry was such a big deal in the Old Testament. Because there were so many gods that offered people the answer that if you worship with us, your crops are going to grow, your cattle is going to produce, you're going to be wealthy, you won't get sick. It's all going to make sense. Now, you may have to sacrifice a child or two along the way. Every god has a demand. So this... Searching for faith, if we're not careful, 
can go to things we should not be putting faith in. So here's an idea about doubt that might help you. If faith is a gift, doubt is what keeps us from accepting anything less than God. Doubt is what pushes us and tests us when we put our ultimate confidence in something that is not of God, that even if it is in God, it challenges us to understand why we believe that. What is the claim that it has on us? It is meant to challenge so that our faith is rooted and strong. And that's why, that's why we need doubt. We see this in the father in this story. We first learn that he's brought his son to the disciples of Jesus in order for them to cast the demon out. And look at what, it, what he says when he first meets Jesus. I ask your disciples to cast it out, but they could not do so. What is his faith in? What is he looking for in his faith? He's looking for a miracle worker. He's looking for the right person who's going to be the answer to his prayers. And Jesus is challenging him to put his faith in God. If we are ever perplexed by doubt, chances are There's something about our doubts that are inviting us to move beyond something that once worked for us, but they don't anymore. That it's time to let go of a belief or a practice or an idea of God that just does not hold the water anymore. So that's a good reflection question for us. Is there a belief or idea about God you feel challenged to move beyond? Maybe you grew up in a religious environment that said to be of faith means you reject certain people. But that rejection doesn't work for you anymore. But it's scary because if you let go of it, it feels like you're going to be letting go of your faith. Maybe you grew up in a religious environment that taught you a certain interpretation of the Bible, but some of those interpretations you're starting to question, but it's scary because if you entertain those questions and those doubts, it'll feel like you're moving away from Scripture altogether. Maybe you grew up in a religious environment that taught you that having a strong faith means that you're always going to feel a certain way. You're going to feel a closeness to God. You're going to feel a confidence about your beliefs. And frankly, it's been a long time since you felt that way. Perhaps the doubts are there to challenge you to let go of something. And to know that it doesn't mean you're letting go of God. You're moving to a deeper place to grow stronger in what you really do believe in. If you need faith to be easy, faith will probably always feel a a bit hit and miss. 
But if you can have a faith that can do as Adolf Hansen said to me the other day, suspend judgment, that can be open to ideas that don't always have easy answers, then you'll probably discover a faith that's not easy, but a faith that's rewarding. Even the disciples had their doubts in this story, and the disciples had Jesus present with them. After Jesus healed the son, they go into the house for a conversation, and the disciples say to Jesus, what's wrong with us? Why couldn't we do what you did? What's wrong with our faith that we could not heal the boy? And Jesus says, this kind of thing can only happen through prayer. What did he mean? He meant that faith is not formulaic. Faith is not about having the right pamphlet that gives you the four principles that answers every question. Faith is about a relationship. And like every relationship, there are times when you feel very close, where you understand the other, and then there are times you feel this strange distance and you wonder what happened in the relationship and and you don't understand each other. But if you stay in the relationship over time, you discover it's like sailing. You're back, you're forth, but gradually moving closer to your object. In the last 15 years, one of the most popular television shows has been The Big Bang Theory. And one of the key characters in the show is the obnoxiously brilliant Dr. Sheldon Cooper. His character became so popular in this show that CBS created a spinoff, a new show called Young Sheldon that goes back to Sheldon's childhood growing up in Texas. And so the different episodes imagine his growing up and you hear the modern day voice of Sheldon narrating his childhood. Well, in one episode, Sheldon's very devout mother has a crisis of faith. It hits her so hard that she stops going to church, she stops saying prayer before meals. Take a look at this closing scene. Can I sit with you? I think mommy needs to be alone right now. All right. Mom, I'm scared. Why? You didn't go to church. You stopped saying grace. I don't understand what's going on. It's kind of hard to explain. Is it me? Did I do something wrong? Of course not. Come here. Sheldon. Faith means believing in something you can't know for sure is real. And right now, I am struggling with that. So you don't believe in God anymore? That isn't something for you to worry about. I need to figure this out myself. Can I help? Maybe I could provide a fresh perspective. 
I don't think so, baby. Did you know that if gravity were slightly more powerful, the universe would collapse into a ball? I did not. Also, if gravity were slightly less powerful, the universe would fly apart and there'd be no stars or planets. Where are you going with this, Sheldon? It's just that gravity is precisely as strong as it needs to be. And if the ratio of the electromagnetic force to the strong force wasn't 1%, life wouldn't exist. What are the odds that would happen all by itself? Why are you trying to convince me to believe in God? You don't believe in God. I don't, but the precision of the universe at least makes it logical to conclude there's a creator. <sighs> Baby, I appreciate what you're trying to do. But logic is here. And my problem is here. Well, there are five billion people on this planet and you're the perfect mom for me. What are the odds of that? <sighs> Thank you, Lord, for this little boy. I knew I could fix it. <laughs> <laughs> Maybe it was you and the Lord. I don't like sharing credit, but I knew in that moment it wasn't the appropriate time to say it. I don't think that clip needs anything else. Let us pray. Lord, we all yearn to be loved. Believer, and unbeliever alike. And for those of us in this journey of faith, our questions sometimes unravel us. But if we'll let them take us to you and know again that you love us and care about our fears and pain, we may not get the answers we want, but we will discover something better than answers. So may we take our questions about you seriously and see where they take us. In Jesus' name, amen.